We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Listen to what Jerry Vine says. A lot of people are so interested in being stargazers, they are not soul winners. Read about the signs of the times, yes, but don't forget the size of the times and the people who are hurting, lonely, and in need of Jesus. Share the gospel to the least and the lost until that moment happens. Some people get so caught up in thinking about the end times, they forget about what God has called us to do right here and now. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy helps us keep our focus on the present without neglecting what is to come. It's a message from the Essential Jesus series titled, Future Events. If you missed the first part of this message, you'll find it on our website when you go to ktt.org. Let's get in now to God's Word. Here's Philip DeCourcy. future events. That's what we're looking at in Mark chapter 13. What are the events that will mark the last days that will bring us to his return? He's outlined all the details that will describe the events of the last days, but now he moves to duties. He moves to the things that the last days generation should do. Remember, we made an argument that verse 30, this generation will not pass away, is not Israel. It's a description of the generation that will be alive to see all of this. That will certainly include many in unbelieving Israel, but it will include the Gentile, where Jesus is simply saying, there's going to be a generation who will see the beginning of the signs. They'll see the big sign. They'll be alive after these days to see me coming in power and glory. So Jesus summons those who will be alive during the last days to certain action. Jesus will say, more than three things. I'm going to highlight three things here about the last day's generation and what they need to be doing. Number one, Jesus summons them to preparation or preparedness. To this generation who will be alive to see it all, Jesus said, look, you don't know the hour and you don't know the day that I'm coming back, verse 32. Only my Father knows that, so you better be ready. You better be prepared. You better be alert. You better be watchful. That's how he ends, doesn't he? In verse 36, don't be found sleeping. I say to you all, watch. The second coming requires alertness to be cognizant of the unfolding events because while this isn't true of the church age, this last day generation will see these things happen and they can work out, generally speaking, that his coming's close. And he uses the figure of a fig tree. Imagine it's spring and you start to see the fig tree blossoming. 
Now, when you see the fig tree blossoming, you know it's spring. And when it's spring, you know that summer's not far away. And he says, when you see these things happening, the wars, rumors of wars, spiritual deception, persecution, the Antichrist standing up in the temple declaring himself to be God, you better believe it, my coming's not far away. At the doors, he says here, doesn't he? So you better be prepared. The signs will tell you that. And then he goes on, he changes his metaphors. So you're moving from verse 28 to 31, the verses 32 to 37. And we go from the outdoors looking at fig trees to the indoors. And there's a master who's gathered all his household servants. And he says to them, hey, I'm leaving. Going on a trip. Won't be back for a while. Hey, got to say something to you. know, Keep the kitchen clean. Keep the beds all tidy. Make sure the gardens are in good repair. So on and so forth. We read here, don't we, in verse 34, he says to them about each his work. And he commands the doorkeeper to watch. And then he heads off. And the whole point of the story is, boy, they better be ready. No sleeping on the job. You don't know when the master's coming back. Now, there were three watches in a Jewish day, but there were four in a Roman day. Six o'clock at night till nine, nine o'clock to 12, 12 to three, three to six. And Jesus takes that idea and says, hey, you know when the master's coming back. He could come back in the evening, six to nine. He could come back at midnight, nine to 12. He could go back at the crowing of the rooster, 12 to three. And he could go back in the morning from three to six. And he says, hey, you better be ready. Don't be found sleeping. And Jesus is saying to the end time generation, be ready, be watchful, be prepared. Is that not the same when it comes to the church waiting for the Savior at the rapture? I think it is. In fact, I'm sure it is. Let me give you an example. Go over to 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. We have a description of those who came to Christ in Thessalonica and the transformation that took place, which was wonderful. They turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Change comes. Faith without works is dead. Don't tell me you walked forward at a meeting and got saved if I can't see any evidence that you're still walking after Christ. Here they started following him, turned from idols. They serve him. And notice this verse 10. And they wait for his son from heaven. If you and I are true Christians, we're living in the light of the second coming. In fact, when you go to chapter 5 of this letter and verse 5, we're told that we're not children of the night. We're not going to be part of the darkness that will envelop the world. We're children of the day. Therefore, verse 6 of chapter 5, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let those of us who are of the day be sober. So just like the generation alive during the tribulation to witness Jesus' return in the church age, you and I are still to be prepared, alive, awake, alert to Jesus any moment return for his church that requires no fulfillment of prophecy and no sign to announce it. I like what a writer says, a man by the name of Peter Lewis, speaking on Matthew 24. He says, keeping watch here is not like waiting at a bus stop, but working at your job, living with your family, witnessing in the world, faithfully looking to Christ as Lord and judge for your vindication and for that well-done faithful servant. It's not passive. It's not standing at a bus stop just waiting for Jesus to arrive. It's you being on the job, focused with an eye to the sky and wanting to be found like the doorkeeper, like the housekeeper, when the master comes back doing your job. That's preparedness. Number two, prayer. Prayer. 
Look at verse 33. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know what the time is now. Some of you right now are going, I don't see the word prayer in my Bible because it's not there in some of your modern versions. Even if it's not there, you and I know that when the Bible tells us to watch, watchfulness and prayer are Siamese twins. In fact, Mark 14, 38, you'll find this in your Bible, even a modern version, where Jesus says to the sleeping disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, what? Watch and pray. And so I think it's included. It's in my Bible, but it's not in yours. It's embedded there. Watchfulness, taking heed, prayerfulness. Watchfulness leads to prayerfulness. Now, what will they be praying? What would you pray in the last days? Remember, I don't think we're being addressed here. So what will the tribulation saints be praying? We're not told. But I would have a guess. Would you agree with me that the Lord's Prayer could be a good prayer for them? Because I was thinking about this. If you're a tribulation saint and you haven't submitted to the Antichrist, you haven't taken the mark of the beast, we're told in the book of Revelation, if you don't have that mark, whatever that mark is, you can't buy and you can't sell. That's pretty tough when they refuse you at the supermarket. It would seem to me you'd be praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And if you live in a world at that time that's dominated by the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the false prophets and messiahs that Jesus talks about, and the strong delusion that God's going to send, it's a day of demonic domination. I'll tell you another thing you'll pray. Jesus taught us, deliver us from the evil or the evil one. And if you live in a world where you've lived long enough to see the abomination of desolation, an antichrist rising up in the temple, according to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, a rebuilt temple, and declaring himself to be God and calling the world to worship him. I'll tell you another thing you'll pray. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You'll want to see an end to man's mismanagement. You'll want to see Jesus Christ crush the Antichrist if you're a tribulation saint. You'll be praying, give us this day our daily bread. You'll be praying, deliver us from evil. You'll be praying, your kingdom come. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is that not the same in the church age? Are we not to be praying? Do we not want to be found on our knees in prayerful reliance and dependence upon God if Jesus should call us home and catch us up in the air? I think so. What's the second to last verse in the Bible? Okay, I'll help you. Revelation 22, 20. What is it? It's a prayer. Who prayed it? John. What did he pray? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I have often thought about prayer as an act of reverence. And I've often thought about prayer as an act of reliance. But I was reading a book, Peter Lewis again, Be Christ-like, excellent book. I never thought about prayer as an act of rebellion, but that's what it is. He makes an argument that petitionary prayer is an act of rebellion against the world order. It's us not submitting. It's us not accepting man's mismanagement. It's us praying against the world order. It's us praying that God's kingdom would come. It's us praying against the status quo and the evil that indeed is being normalized in our day. Listen to Peter Lewis when he addresses this. Petitionary prayer involves thoughtful, deliberate prayer requests, often about the wider scheme in a fallen world, about matters far from home, beyond our own power to change. It is a persistent cry of the church against unbelief, against sorrow, suffering, hatred, spiritual darkness in a fallen world. It is a cry, your kingdom come. 
And then he quotes David Wells, whose writings have helped many of us in a book on world missions, where David Wells says, it is the essence of rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness, the absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. You want to thumb your nose at the world? Get on your knees and pray. Do some subversive action in prayer, praying that indeed God will vindicate himself and his people. That's what David Wells is saying. That's what Peter Lewis is saying. I love that. Think about that. Prayer is not just an act of reverence. It's not just an act of reliance. It's an act of rebellion. And the church is praying in an act of rebellion against a world order set up against God and his glory. And Jesus Christ is going to topple it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Last thought. Preparedness. Prayer. Finally, proclamation. Proclamation. Now this, Mark 13, let's go to verse 10 of Mark 13. This is last day's living. This is the tribulation saints and the actions they ought to be taking. Remember, there's 19 imperatives in Mark 13. Here's another one. And the gospel must first be preached. There's an imperative, preached in all the nations. Proclamation. Prophetically speaking, this will be fulfilled in the last days. We're not going to go to these verses, but follow me. I believe Revelation is futuristic. I believe once you get to chapter 4, past chapter 3, everything's future. It's not being fulfilled in the New Testament or the church age. And this is a time that lies in the future, a time that Jesus describes here, a time of great tribulation. And what happens? Well, if you go to Revelation 7, 1 to 17, you'll find out that God seals, saves, and then sends 144,000 people were called witnesses out into the world. And you know what? A great number of people get saved. Many of them are martyred, and they end up in heaven, and the elders say, who are these that have come out of great tribulation? Out of every tongue and every tribe and every nation, which tells me those 144,000 did a great job of getting across the world to every tribe and tongue and nation. Now, if that's not enough, you go to Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, and there are two witnesses beyond the 144,000. That might be Moses and Elijah. We're not sure. It's not that important. But these two witnesses witness to the world. And then the Antichrist and the false prophet, that is the first beast and the second beast, destroy them, kill them. And the world watches. It says the whole world watches. And God raises them from the dead. Can you imagine that? The world will watch it. It'll be on Fox. It'll be on CNN. It'll be on MSNBC. The two witnesses rising from the dead. The world will stagger. What a witness worldwide. And if that's not enough, Revelation 14, 6 to 8, where one angel as the judgments of God falls will indeed evangelize the world himself. So in the last days, tribulation, the world will be evangelized. The nations will be reached. And boom, Jesus will come question as we close. Is that not the same in the church age? Unless somebody can tell me otherwise, I think we got our marching orders clearly in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. They haven't been rescinded. If you're not in the game of discipling evangelism, you're AWOL, you're disobedient, and you're betraying your commitment to Jesus Christ because we're to go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? Win people, make them disciples, baptize them, get them connected to a local church, and on and on it goes. That's what we are to be doing. We're to be as witnesses, according to chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. So what's true of the 
last generation is true of every generation within the church age. That's our challenge. Be preaching, be proclaiming. Are you sharing the gospel? When's the last time you actually shared the gospel cogently, clearly, and convincingly to someone? You got to be doing that because you see, we're in the interval. He came the first time to see if he comes the second time to judge. We've only got so much time to win them. Paul says, I do all that I can, become all that I can to win some. Are you winning some? And are you win some when it comes to the gospel? In fact, let's finish with Acts 1, verse 8. Be witnesses. Okay, that's what we're to be. And then what do we read in verse 9, 10 and 11? Jesus then was taken up into heaven. He ascended. And we read the disciples were like, standing there, you know, bug-eyed. And the, the angel says, hey, guys, what are you doing? Why stand you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus that was received into the heavens will come again in a similar manner, which means physically, visibly, and then in power and glory, cataclysmically, judgmentally, all of that that we outlined a few minutes ago. Jerry Vines was a Southern Baptist preacher I have enjoyed. And he's got a famous sermon. He's preached at several conventions across America. He's now retired. It's called Stargazers or Soul Winners. And he bases it on this very passage. Why stand you gazing into the heavens? Do you not remember he told you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria? Now, guys, get on with it. He'll be with you to the end of the age. Listen to what Jerry Vine says. A lot of people are so interested in being stargazers, they are not soul winners. Read about the signs of the times, yes, but don't forget the size of the times and the people who are hurting, lonely, and in need of Jesus. Study the ten toes of Daniel, but don't fail to take your feet and get out onto the highways and byways and tell others of Jesus. Ride the wings of the angels in the book of Revelation, but ride your car across the city to a place where you can share the gospel to the least and the lost. We need to get excited about it. Jesus is coming. People need to come to him. So let's get working at winning souls. And amen to that. No more stargazing. No more elaborate charts. We're not going to be alive to see that generation or all that's happening. We're the church. The rapture's coming. There are no signs, no prophecy. Let's get on with loving Jesus, raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, doing a good day's work, keeping ourselves pure, keeping ourselves from idols, loving one another, reaching the lost until that moment happens. I just finished the book. I'd recommend it to you. How God Used R.A. Torrey. Dari Tori, founded Biola University, by the way. And it's a book written by Fred Sanders, who is over the Tory ministry at Biola. And in it, interesting, in a book on how God used R.A. Tory, there's a sermon called How God Used D.L. Moody. And then it, Tory, who traveled with D.L. Moody, says he was one, a fully surrendered man, two, a man of prayer, three, a deep practical student of the Bible, four, a humble man, five, he was free from the love of money, six, he was endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, and seven, he had a consuming passion for the lost. That's not a bad checklist, by the way. You want to be used by God? Follow all of those things. But he loved the lost, he was an evangelist. Do you know what he committed to? He said, I can't go to bed, and I shouldn't go to bed 
any night of the day until I've shared the gospel with someone at some part of the day. In fact, I had a friend had that same commitment, Jim Henry, who helped disciple me back in Northern Ireland. He's with the Lord. He said, Philip, I've made it my goal each and every day to have a one meaningful conversation with a lost soul. What about you and me? Are we fulfilling that? Just one soul. If we all were reaching one soul a day for Jesus Christ, there would be a lot happening in our world. In fact, in the book, R.A. Torrey tells the story that one night, Moody got so tired, slept in the bed. He was in his jammies, all tucked up, comfortable. You know when that's like, the last thing you want to do is get back out of bed. And yet he remembered, I haven't shared the gospel with somebody. And he actually got up, put his clothes on, as tired as he was. He went to the doorstep of his home and looked out, and it was raining cats and dogs. And he said, well, hey, Lord, I made a good effort. There's nobody going to be out on the street. I'm going back to bed. And then he thought, oh, I can't. And he opened his door, and he listened. And he didn't hear anybody for a while. And then he heard the pitter-patter feet of a man coming along the sidewalk under an umbrella. And according to R.A. Torrey, as the man comes by Moody's house, the guy ducks out of his doorway under the umbrella and starts talking to the guy as they walk down the street. And as he's talking, he says at some point in the conversation, he says, my friend, do you have a shelter for the time of storm? It's an old phrase in a hymn that's basically talking about the second coming and the need to get saved. Do you have a shelter in the time of storm? Here you are under an umbrella and the rain's coming, but someday God's judgment will rain down. Are you saved, my friend? And he actually leads them to Christ under the umbrella. And he gets back to the business of sleeping. In another part of the book, Moody challenges the man one day on the street and says, sir, are you a Christian? And the man says, hey, you, mind your own business. To which Moody replies, sir, it is my business. To which the man replies, then you must be D.L. Moody. Wow. I like that kind of reputation. God give us a heart for the lost. You know, we're safe and sound and secure. We're not appointed under wrath, but to salvation. We're not in the world without God and without hope. We've got the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our God and Savior. But they don't. They have no shelter in the time of storm. Let's get them to Calvary, to the scorched earth of that place where God judged our sin. And if he finds us there at his second coming, we're safe. What ought you and I to be doing? Just like the tribulation saints, we ought to be prepared. We ought to be prayerful. And we ought to be proclaiming the gospel. Amen? Lord, thank you for this word. Help us indeed to be ready. For in such an hour as we think not, the Son of Man comes. Find us alert. Find us on our knees. Find us on our feet, sharing the gospel for Jesus' sake. Amen. Wrapping up the message titled Future Events, you're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. We're in a series right now called Essential Jesus. It's a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. And if you're just joining us, or if you've missed any of the past teachings in this series, you'll find them online at ktt.org. We mention our online archive a lot of this program, but maybe you've never taken advantage of it and used it to download any of Philip's teaching. Check it out today, and when you do, you'll discover how easy it is to access all of Philip's messages. And it's made available at no cost. It's one way we send God's Word to the four corners of the globe with nearly unrestricted access because of today's technology and, of course, your generous support. This year, we expanded our broadcast into more major cities across the United States, including Houston, Tampa, St. Louis, and Denver. And some of these cities have suffered devastating tragedies this year. So we are grateful to be there, shining the light of God's Word into the darkness. 
but it really does require your partnership. We can put these programs together, but it's your support that allows us to purchase the airtime that makes Know the Truth possible. Right now, we're asking you to give your most generous year-end gift so we can reach even more people with the gospel in 2018. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. You can also write to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Give a donation today and we'll send you the ESV Daily Devotional New Testament with our thanks. It's the perfect resource to strengthen your faith in the coming year. Give a generous donation when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us again Wednesday as we look at one of the most beautiful acts in the New Testament on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. MediShare, and it's affordable biblical health care. And if you're wondering, what does that mean? Well, ask the people who are already members, like the Badger family. It's a big family, by the way. We have seven boys, three girls. We live out in the country. We homeschool. And they thank God for MediShare, especially after one of their babies was born with spina bifida, and the total bill was about a quarter million dollars. MediShare members met the entire need and sent them cards and letters letting them know they're praying for them. MediShare is, I mean, we love it. With myself being self-employed, owning my own business, MediShare was a great option as far as affordability. With MediShare, as far as like all of our stuff, it's, it's always come through. Yeah, more and more people are doing this, and you can see why. Hundreds of thousands of Christian believers sharing, and that is a beautiful thing. Find out more. Call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. 844-41-BIBLE. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor 